Hi, I'm Liz Stokel. And I'm Debbie Rude. We're Dancing with Skeletons. We know what it's like to keep our past hidden away, like skeletons in a closet. We also know the healing that comes from acknowledging who we used to be and how much we've learned. So every once in a while, we dance with our skeletons. So come dance with us. Good afternoon, Liz. Hi, Debbie. How are you today? I'm actually a lot better today than I've been. My back doesn't hurt, so those of you who have been listening know that I've had a really wild backache journey, but I'm better, so it's good. I'm so glad. Isn't it, isn't it true about our health, boy? The, boy. the better we feel, the, the better we are emotionally and everything. Totally. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Our, our mind and body are totally connected. Totally so. connected. So uh, This is episode 48. That's amazing. Episode 48. So we have been talking a lot about the lessons that we've learned, both individually and corporately. Um, one of the things, one of the threads that we have noticed throughout our journey and our storytelling yes. is that we both have a little bit of spiritual baggage. You think? <laughs> <laughs> and we both have um, a little bit of PTSD. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, yes, I'm, you do. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know. We both really do. We so. really do. And so uh, on this road to healing, um, the word that comes up a lot in this process is deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I remember a pastor said to me many years ago that he himself had taken all the building blocks of his faith and had just sort of thrown them out into the ocean. Right. Thrown them out of the boat. Throw them out of the boat. And now he's in a boat and he's rowing along and he's picking up the pieces that still work. Right. And he's putting them back in his boat and slowly but surely he's taking them to shore and rebuilding the foundation of his faith because he didn't want to lose his faith. Right. But his, his deconstruction journey was very much, you know, mm -hmm. in the throes of happening. Mm -hmm. And so I have never forgotten that word deconstruction. And that was probably 10 years ago that he told me that. And now deconstruction is, is something that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, it, it's, it's become an important topic in evangelical healing circles. Yeah. <laughs> circles. I don't know what you want yeah, to call it. And but. the last four or five years has yeah. definitely um, opened a lot of hearts yeah. and a lot thankfully yeah. has opened a lot of hearts. Well, and, and for, for me, and, and this is going to lead into the introduction of our guest our today, guest, but yeah. for me, um, being in the evangelical church for 30 some odd years, um, there were always things that never set right with me. Mm -hmm. Always things. But because I was raising my family, I was married to a pastor, I was doing all the things, I just kind of could push some of the things aside that bothered me. And then I went through a divorce and my life kind of flipped upside down and I, you know, and I had all this stuff that I wanted to say and all this stuff that I felt, but I didn't know how to say it and I didn't know who I could say it to. And then in the fall of the pandemic, mm -hmm. I was on my Facebook and this dude <laughs> named Paul Swearingen came across my Facebook page and I... I thought that's I I recognize that name and I <laughs> stopped and I listened and I was immediately drawn in I was immediately crying I was immediately 
just amazed that there was another person who was speaking what I had been feeling for years and years and years. And so I started following him and ended up in his in his leadership class, which he can talk about a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so um, he's become a friend. And so um, we decided that we would love for Paul to be our guest today. So welcome, Paul Welcome, Paul Swearingen. Wow. <laughs> what a great intro. And congrats on 48 episodes because a lot of podcasts have started over the last year or so. Yeah. Not so many continue on. So good for you guys for keeping we're, we're, it rolling. We're, we're trying. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So you have a story, an amazing story. And um, we just... We want to give you an opportunity to share whatever it is. It was the elevator pitch. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I think I think my story is very similar to to yours, both of you, and and many other stories. And I would say the same that Debbie just said. There were things that just never matched up in my spirit, and and I was always kind of that kid. My dad was a kind of a fairly famous Assemblies of God pastor. And, and there were parts of the story that just didn't match up. And I always said I was like that. I was like the little kid in the emperor's new clothes fable, you know, that would say, wait a second. You know, everybody's like, the king is wearing this amazing set of clothes. And you're like, he's naked. And I'm like, that's a naked man. Right I'm sorry. Yeah. And so I've always had that. But, but you know, as human beings, we're, we're fabulous at adapting. Um, and so... All the things that didn't match up, I could push them aside because I wanted to fit in the community. Yeah. Um, but as a as a kid, and and I did a I did an episode on my podcast on this called "I'm I'm Screwed Up" and how my the trauma of my mm -hmm. evangelical upbringing, and I I've realized really in very recent years like it was a very traumatic upbringing. Even the idea that at any second Jesus could appear in the sky, and if I wasn't exactly right with Jesus with every letter of every law, the length of my hair, or what magazine cover I had looked at in the supermarket, or, you know, I could be left behind and then have to make this decision, this eternal decision of eating or being beheaded or all these crazy things. <laughs> It, it, it was a trauma impact in my life. Mm -hmm. it, it caused every day of my life to be filled with shame and fear. Mm -hmm. And you're not supposed to fill your kids' lives with shame and fear. They're, they're, you're supposed to be building them up and, and, and helping their identity. And yes, occasionally it's going to take some fear to get them to keep on that path. But if it's every day of your life being told God is mad at you, yeah. It becomes very traumatic. And then, you know, my parents are, are great people. Like I tell my coaching mm -hmm. people, Debbie, mm -hmm. your parents can be wonderful and did the best they could and still really injure you. Mm -hmm. And my parents had their own issues and there was rage in our household. And, and, and all of that then with a pastor dad who is the representation of God in your church and in your household is an asshole. Can I say? <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. You can. <laughs> and he's still alive, and God bless him. He, he's really strict. But but I feel like I have to tell this, this these stories. So if if the representation of God in your household and in your church is is traumatic for you, you go off to college and you say, screw it. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm going to hell, so I better live it up on earth. Yeah. And so I went through what I call my pagan years, and and all of that led, you know, I ended up coming back. I ended up planting a church. I married a wonderful woman. And, but then in the midst of, of then being a pastor of a church, after all of that as a backdrop, I knew there was something amazing about God. 
I knew the story of Jesus was incredible, but I begin to see the damage that the Western church and its mindset of who God is mm -hmm. and, and what this exclusivity of religion is that, that excludes the LGBTQs and the, the uh, uh, you know, pro-choices and Democrats and whatever else, how really damaging to culture we are. And when I read the Bible, I see we're supposed to serve culture and, yeah. and raise it up and pray for the welfare of our city. So all of that together ended up with me stepping out of the leading our church and going through a whole bunch of other stuff. And so anyway, that's kind of a long setup, but you guys can ask me well, what you want out well, of that. I will say, let me just interrupt yeah. and say that if you hear any guitar playing in the background, it's because we are in a music school and there is lessons going on and the, it yes. sounds beautiful. Yes. So if our audience hears that, that's what's going on, but yes. it sounds great. But yeah. go ahead. Did you have a question? I, well, I just was going to say that I know that that your your decision to step away from your church was pretty painful. It was really brave, really, really courageous because you really believed that and believe, and I believe you are, you're doing it that God has another path for you and you're making that happen. And, and, but you went through, you've lost friendships. You've people have been mean to you. People have said awful things to you. How do you deal with that? Mm. You know, I mean, I know you have a, his wife was our, our mayor mm -hmm. and Two she's, terms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I don't know, Ashley, I would love to get to know Ashley, but, um, I know that you've talked and you and you guys do podcasts together, but you mm -hmm. talk fairly highly of her and how she supports you. How how have you handled it all? Um, poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I attended your church a couple of times, actually. Oh, you did? And when I was in the midst of trying to find, you know, I had been booted out of a church, and my husband was still a, he's still a drummer, and so he plays, that's part of his income yeah. part of his gig is that yeah. he plays for church and so he would be playing at a church and I'd be like I'm just gonna go check out some other churches and so uh, I actually checked you guys out a couple of times you're just on the exact opposite end of town from where I lived and so it was just like yeah I think that's a little bit too far for me to go and that was really it's not a good excuse but that was my excuse at the time yeah, yeah. so go ahead that's, talk to us about uh, on, on your side road there I I love drummers and I you know I wanted to have a great Great band for our church and so I used to tell my team you know whoever is leading worship really has to have a heart for Jesus and being like the drummer can be smoking as far as I'm concerned they can have cigarettes in the little box there as long as they can drum that's all I care about well my husband will appreciate that absolutely absolutely awesome um yeah I I think because I'm still on my life journey and and I have skeletons that I haven't quite danced with out of my closet yet, there were times where my response to negative reactions to me leaving the church and starting to speak out of what I've been speaking out and in opposition to the things I've seen in the church um, would cause me at times to be defensive or respond back in a very negative way. Now, in some ways, I see how Jesus dealt with religious people in the Bible, and he was never kind to them, right. never kind. He, he mocked them openly and made jokes about them and tore them down and said things like, your father's the devil. So in some ways, I, I'm emulating that, and I, I, I do have a way... To, but but yes, when it's people you love yeah, that are close in and they were hurt because 
you know, they had given their lives to a community that I had started. And all of a sudden, now I'm stepping out of it and saying, this is not where I want to be anymore. Mm -hmm. And when we first stepped out, we continued to attend there. And it really was COVID that we started realizing, like, I'm not missing this at all. I am really enjoying being at home on Sunday morning and so did and did someone else take over that yeah. that congregation? Oh, okay. Yeah, we had a wonderful okay. young couple that was on staff, and we just knew, you know, we floored them one night. We came over to their house and said, "We're giving you the church. Congratulations! <laughs> it's it's a boy. You know, here you go." And like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were they were fabulous people, and they had a fabulous vision for where they wanted the church to go. Now, they've left. Uh, they, they were from Scotland originally. They had come over. We brought them over from Scotland to be oh, with wow. us. And they've gone back. And I think in part because the church has just gone so insane. Mm -hmm. And and they, being Europeans or, or, or Brits, were like, we don't get this at all. And this this love for Trump and all this stuff, they were, you know, I think that was part of what took them out too. But yeah, they took on the church and we were like, we're behind you 100%. We're going to sit right there on the front row and tell everybody how amazing you are. But in the midst of, of COVID and mm -hmm. deconstruction, which I've been in in a lot of ways since the early, early 2000s, um, it was just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm, I'm there, but I'm not there. Yeah. And I don't really believe in the mission of what, what we're doing anymore. And so it's, it's interesting because, and I feel somewhat badly about this, but I have people ask me all the time, like, how do I find a church now that I'm in this deconstruction? And my answer always is like, I don't recommend you go to a church. I, I think when we get inside the walls of the building four Sundays a month, mm -hmm. it draws us to this homogenous norm that no matter how much I wanted to start a church that would be different, you just get pulled and pulled and pulled and you end up being just another evangelical church at right. the end of it. It's, it's funny you say that because I've told many people, so Sunday mornings, you have a what would you call Sunday your... Sunday community. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's an online spiritual gathering. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I tell people, it's not church. He's not the pastor. He's the facilitator mm -hmm. of, of the gathering, but he's not the pastor. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, it just means that it's, it's a place for an open conversation. No one's the leader. You know, it, it's, it's open, it's organic, it moves and changes, and it's, it, there's not, we don't have announcements, and then worship, and then da-da-da-da-da-da, <laughs> you know. Now, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't been in several months, because I've actually... Yes, and I'm going to condemn you for that. <laughs> Where have you been, I Debbie? Where your, your attendance where, is low. Where is your tithe? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have been attending an actual, a physical place, yeah. which, you know, so I'll tell you about that another time, but I've been actually going, I've been going to a building. Yeah, and some people want that community. I mean, there there aren't yeah. places like church to get community sometimes, and so I don't, yeah. I don't begrudge anybody that, but, you know, to go back to your original question then of how I, how yeah. I handled the negativity yeah. and, you know, I've lost, we've lost massive amounts of friends in the middle of all of this. When the pain of the oppressed becomes greater to you than your comfort with the oppressor, mm -hmm. uh, it, it literally, I can mark the moment. It was New Year's Day 2017. Um, my wife had given me a copy of Letter from Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. And I was reading it and I was reading him talking about 
be, you know, he says, I'm most disappointed with the white moderate. I knew the Klanners would do what they do. I knew these people, but I thought the white moderates would help us. But instead, they're the ones saying, wait, you know, why are you causing all this trouble? And I, it just, it just hit me that I was so uncomfortable with this right-wing uh, mindset that had come into the church and had taken over the white evangelical church that led to the voting of freaking Donald Trump. I, I mean, it still blows my mind to think that we believe this guy is God's man for the season, that we could be that deceived. And, yeah. and I had tempered all of this stuff inside of me for so long because I was afraid of hurting people. I thought I had good motives to protect the people in our church. Mm -hmm. And I certainly had the good motive of I would see the fear in my staff's eyes every time I pushed a norm because I would always preach that the way the church treated President Obama was was sin. It was flat out wrong. And I would see the fear in my staff's eyes like we're going to lose people and we're going to have trouble making payroll. So all of those reasons I tempered myself. And it was the the Huck Fillery bumper sticker. You had a bumper yeah. sticker, yeah. 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 Somebody and... that came into your parking lot that went to your church. I think that was the moment you said, I'm doing something wrong yeah. or I'm not getting through. Whoever yeah. the pastor of this church is is doing something wrong if one of our major parishioners can have that bumper sticker on their car. Right. Oh, that's me. Yeah. I'm the guy. This person is listening to me preach four Sundays a month and we're still there. And, and so that's when I said, okay, I've got to do something different. I've got to speak up. And so that led to a, a year-long process of finally coming to the conclusion of, I can't fix this thing. I've got to get out. So when people hate me for doing that, and, and maybe they, they wouldn't say hate, but when they feel great negativity for me speaking out, mm -hmm. I'm, I just have to say, I don't really care about my reputation in that circle anymore. What I care about is fighting for these people who have not only been chased away from the church, as you guys have so eloquently laid out, but really have been run from a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. yes. And and I want to go to those people and say, no, you can have a faith and a spirituality right. that looks like anything that makes you feel safe and loved and connected to the divine. And it doesn't have to fit this grid because the, the message of the evangelical church is you're either all in with us. Mm -hmm. That includes our racism, our, our nationalism, mm -hmm. our, our republicanism. Our or, pamphlets sitting out in the lobby that tell you who to vote for. Yeah, or... <laughs> or you know, you know, hiding your mental health issues, hiding your family struggles inside because we just want to be joyful and you just give it all to Jesus. And we say all these platitudes that are really saying live in denial because yeah. that's, you know, someday yeah. you'll get to heaven. Your life will be, yeah. I started to say a bad word. Your life will be terrible today, <laughs> but in heaven, it'll all be worth it. All of that stuff, you know, is destroying the beauty of humanity. I think it is the problem. And so... I would rather be over here sitting with the Samaritan woman at the well than, than being loved by Pharisees. So. Well, you know, one of my favorite, you talked about Martin Luther King Jr., and one of my favorite quotes from him is, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just, I was pleading with people to, to not be silent, to speak up for me, to speak up for my kids, to, to tell the truth, to be on my side. I mean, I was just pleading with people, even family members who to this day go to the church that, ha that abused us abused us and it took me years to say this was abuse this mm -hmm. was spiritual abuse yeah. and mental and emotional abuse and 
you know, when you have a pastor calling you on the phone and saying you are um, not submitting to the men that God has put in authority over you and that is a, you're on a dangerous path. Yeah. That's that's a rape culture. Mm. That's rape culture. What, what did it do for you when you were able to verbalize this was abuse? Well, it has... Was that helpful? Well, it was definitely helpful for me. Um, my husband, whose family is still very much plugged in with that church and stuff, he says... I'm happy for you, but we can't really vocalize this to the family because nothing's ever going to change. So they don't know about our podcast. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. well, okay. If they don't know about it, it's... I know, I'm kidding. Or, or at least they're, they're not... It's because our head's in the sand. They're not speaking out loud about <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. speaking out loud. So it, it did. It did do a lot to heal me. But honestly, that healing is... Even though the the crimes, if you will, are you know just began 20 years ago, the healing has really only started honestly in the last like two years. I mean, the real healing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there were little drips of healing along the way, yep. Yep. and there's so many people that love to say things to you like "get over it," or you know, "you're not you let let go and let God." Yeah. You know, like you said, platitudes, one platitude mm -hmm. after another. Give it and to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Yep. And every time one of these people would say one of these platitudes, I felt like I was a bad human yeah. and a bad Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, why can't I let go and let God? Why can't I that, do that? That's what things? it did to me, too. It, it, exactly the same thing. It says, you know, I'm not praying enough. Why am I still miserable? Why are these things still going on? What's wrong with me? God, it has to be me. It has to be me. Mm -hmm. God doesn't love me enough. Mm -hmm. He loves that person more or that person because I'm... Something must be, I'm damaged. I'm too damaged. I can't, I can't follow through with this, whatever. Yeah. And, and the expectation that is unspoken, but it's there, very, very clearly there is, is you, nobody can, can, can fulfill it. Yeah. And well, I, I think verbalizing this was abuse or this was trauma I know for me has been so freeing from shame, mm -hmm. from feeling like it has to be me. And, and I, I've, I visit with a psychologist on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I'm doing life work. And, and I was telling him of, of some of the incidents from my childhood. And, and, I, and, and my brothers and I have talked. I have two brothers. And, you know, we always sort of collaborate on, yeah, it was a pretty rough childhood. But, you know, for the most part, it was pretty good. And we had clothes and we had food. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so it wasn't too bad. There were people that had it worse. And, to be, and, and so I'm telling my psychologist these stories of how punishment was handed out in our household and some different things. And, and, and as we do, and, and Debbie, I've coached you on this many times, at, at the end of it, I like sort of laughed and I'm like, yeah, but yeah, yeah. And he's looking at me and he says, why are you laughing? Right. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, just uh, awkward, I guess. Yeah, yeah awkward. And, and he said, nothing of what you said was funny. Oh, there wasn't a single funny thing you said there. Yeah. Oh, and he man. said, as you told it to me, it was like you were telling me about a Netflix show you saw last week. He said, do you realize what you were telling me happened to you? Right. You took the brunt of that rage from your dad. You took the, the, the disconnection and the emotional abuse. And, all, and, and so coming to that, that moment hit me of like, I'm completely disconnected from the emotion of this. And, and again, this is how... 
we're just beautifully and wonderfully made as human beings. I have to survive, so I'm going to have to detach from the reality of this pain. And, and we're magnificent to be able to do that. But there is a time where we have to start to recognize, but this is impacting my life. This is impacting every relationship and, I have. And even to the every little choice you make. Yeah. It, it, it you know, I, I've been there. I get it. My wife and I both grew up in evangelical pastors' homes, and we both are recognizing we don't know how to feel our feelings. We've never been taught that you get to be angry when you're pissed mm -hmm. off. You get to be sad when you hurt mm -hmm. because all we've ever heard is all things work together for good. That, you know, all of those things that having significant mental health issues and struggles is not godly. Let's just pray exactly. and fix them. And, yeah. and being able to verbalize, no, this was traumatic and I have some real deep wounds to work through has freed me from so many things. And some may say, oh, well, now you're just blaming it all on your parents. And and I'm saying, but but what if they deserve the blame? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not saying I have to hate them forever. I, I think I'm living in forgiveness of them and grace for them, mm -hmm. but no longer being dishonest that this was very traumatic and toxic and abusive. Now, you mentioned that you had brothers. You just have the two brothers. Yeah. Now, what? where are they? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 where are they in their faith? Do they have faith? Where are they yeah. on this journey? And how do they feel about your parents and all that? Oh, yeah. They, they are, are two of the finest Christian men you could ever know from wonderful Christian families in, in great churches, and they are stalwarts in the church. Um, <laughs> the My... My brother, my middle brother, wrote a wrote a text to the to this family uh, text group, and he said, "When I did my podcast where I said I'm screwed up and, and the trauma, he he sent out a text to everybody saying, don't listen to Paul's podcast. It's terrible. He's saying terrible things about our parents and our family, and um, you know he said all these all these you know, Paul's off, off the cliff. He's no longer a Christian. He's doing all these crazy things." Wow. My brother didn't realize my wife and I were on the group text. <laughs> and so the text came through to my phone. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So, now, is this brother just younger than you? No, I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. I'm the youngest okay. of three. Okay. Okay. Um, and I've always been sort of this outcast black sheep. Anyway. <laughs> and so they are struggling a lot with what I do at, at varying degrees. And, and they're sort of in this place of, yes... And, and to my brother's credit, like I immediately text, hey, everybody, before anybody embarrass themselves, just know that my wife and I are on this group. And so to his credit, he picked up the phone and called and said, I feel terrible, blah, 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 blah. Um, and but I still feel but exactly yeah. like I just said. <laughs> I still feel, I yeah. stand by my feelings. And he gets to feel that way. I, 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 and, and to me, I, there was a little bit of like, Yay, this is an opportunity for us because our family, one thing we know is we never talk about anything that matters. Right. We right. were fabulous at having all kinds of elephants in the room and just right. being like nothing to see here. Right. Um, but my family still very much is, is in a place of like, why don't you just shut up and, and, and get everything back to normal? And that's, mm -hmm. that's really a battle in our household right now. And even to the effect I had to tell my parents, like, stop texting me because your text are really 
toxic. Because <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I hope my dad never listens to this podcast. But but it, you know, it would be one, a text one moment that would say, like Whitney Houston's song says, "I will always love you," and then the next would be, "Stop listening to Satan. You are deceived." You know, oh. and I just want you to be in heaven with me, and I'm going to die soon. You know, so. Um, this stuff will cost you. It'll cost you. I have a family member who I think they are just living in the same little bubble. <laughs> wow. Oh, Paul. And your other brother is a little bit more silent on the whole matter. Yeah. Or is he in the same camp? He's, he, yeah, he's, he's been a little bit intrigued by what I do, but it, but it feels like they're kind of moving towards, towards that. And, and I think, I think the blessing of the Trump era in the church is it really has required Christian, white Christian people, um, and, it, and it seems like Mormons and Catholics and Jehovah's Witness, all, all these different sects and denominations mm-hmm. are having to decide, am I on this side or this side? Right. Uh, I don't, I, you know, the Bible says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let you be lukewarm anymore. Right. You're going to have to be on one side or the other. And so I think, I think my oldest brother's kind of going the opposite direction. But he's, he's always been kind and has asked me a lot of questions and has, but, but, you, but, but it's okay to abort babies, you know, these kind of these right. questions. And, um, but that's just part of it. I, I tell people all the time, as you're in your deconstruction journey, you get to build boundaries. Boundaries are really important. Um, and even Jesus built a boundary. There was a, there was a moment where Jesus was teaching and clearly something had happened to convince his mom, the Virgin Mary and his brother, James, who would ultimately be the pastor of the church of Jerusalem and, and all of his brothers. And they came to get him. We, we don't know exactly why, but I'm assuming they had heard enough stories that Mm -hmm. they thought Jesus was off his rocker. Um, and the Virgin Mary and, and her sons came to get Jesus and take him home. And Jesus turned to the person that was saying, hey, your mom's out there. And he said, that's not my mom. And those aren't my brothers. That's not my family. My family are the people here who believe in me. So even Jesus built a boundary. Now we know they reconciled. She was there at the cross and they worked it through somehow. And, and so I'm not saying cut off relationships, but it is fair to say in relationships, you will treat me right. in line with who I am right. or it will have ramifications on our relationship. Right. 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 So where are you at now? So, well, okay. I'm in your studio. I know right? you are. <laughs> I, I know you are. Yes, you are. In our small little studio. Yeah. Actually, what I wanted to ask you to, to talk about is in terms of where you're at with what you're doing now. You know, because I took your class. You, you do something called leadership it's the Core Leaders core, Network. Core Leaders Network, yeah. yeah. I was going to call it the cohort because that's what we called it. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about about what, you, what you're what you doing with that and your podcasts and your nonpartisan evangelical stuff. You, have, yeah. you do all this cool stuff. You're like one of the hardest working people I know <laughs> all over the place. Well, do- and all in an effort mm-hmm. to, to tell your story, but also to... To, to allow other people to, to come along this journey with yeah. you and yeah. to tell their story. And, and have a safe place to, and to, to, tell, to, yeah. to talk and about to it. to be yeah. safe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do the, the, the coaching, and it's, it's where I make my money. The podcast doesn't make me any money. I'm, I don't know if you guys are making tons <laughs> of money up there in this <laughs> no. podcast. But... Let's see. Tons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> describe tons. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. But uh, I've always... So the coaching is, I, I sort of joking, half jokingly says, by far the best pastoring I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I, uh, 
I could see that. You, you would, you would I, agree I, with I, that? I can totally see that, why you would say that. And the reason it's the best pastoring I've ever done, I've ever done is because I'm, I'm dealing with people who are invested in, in opening up their heart to the possibility of change. I think the biggest problem, the Bible says, don't be hard-hearted like your fathers were in the desert. Hard-heartedness is, I have to believe the way I've always believed. I have to believe the way my community believes. And so if you come to me with a dissenting opinion, I have to kill you in some version of what <laughs> kill yeah, you right. is. Yeah. And, and so my coaching is, let's open up the idea to another possibility. Yeah. Is there a chance that the story you're hearing in your head is coming either from your upbringing, is coming from the echo chamber in which you live? And are you willing to think differently? Because I see the goal of what Jesus came to do. He said, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to sozo it. That word sozo, we translate as saved, and we believe that means get people to say a sinner's prayer and go to heaven. Right. What it truly means is I came to reconcile body, mind, and soul to heaven. Mm-hmm. I, I came to reconcile connection to the purpose of this all. And, and so opening our heart to say, is my identity of myself wrong? Am I hearing my mom's voice in the back yeah. of my head or yeah. my dad's voice in the back and not God's voice for me, not the truth of who I am? Then how is that impacting my mindset of how I interact with the world? Am I, am I angry about BLM because something in my, my upbringing or life or community tells me I have to be against it rather than being willing to consider the idea that maybe I'm carrying an old mindset that needs to change for a new season. Mm-hmm. The, the goal of all of this then is to have a well-being that says, I can hear people disagree with me, criticize me, bring helpful critique, and I can hear it because I know who I am. Right. And, and hopefully that's where I am personally when people say, I disagree with you, that I don't have to fire back and say, you're a total idiot anymore and I'm angry and I'm breaking off relationship. But to say, no, I know who I am. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm saying what I'm supposed to be saying because I've wrestled with all those concepts. I've I've put my beliefs out into the light and said, is this what I'm supposed to be believing? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this age. We often read that as don't be conformed to the world out there. Mm -hmm. But what it really means is don't be conformed to the age, the era in which you live. I believe if we wrote it today, we would say don't be conformed to your bubble or your mindset or your group thing, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, that is that actually means ongoing renewal, Mm -hmm. not one time renewal and then live in that ever-changing renewal so that you can know the perfect will, good and perfect will of God. Like, if we're not constantly challenging our belief systems of ourselves or the world around us, we're going to fall into a rut of living in our echo chamber rather than knowing where God is going in a season, where heaven on earth looks like in a season. So that's the coaching I do. And and I said that in a very Christian way. My coaching is actually very well, and, non-Christian. And, but. and I can say, as a have been, I was a student uh, in your coaching, and, and you have a really graceful way of getting your people to, to, to do just what you said, to open up. You ask poignant questions. You ask us to do soul searching. You ask, you ask questions that make you look inward. 
So he doesn't tell you what to he, do. You don't tell. He mm-hmm. asks, allows you to ask questions yeah. that help you figure yeah. out what you're supposed to do and what's right for you. Exactly. I have no magic potion to fix somebody's <laughs> well, life. Thank God. <laughs> and, and, and another thing that's... Because magic is evil. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that's really beautiful about about the coaching is that you're in an environment with a bunch of other people that you don't really know. That's what we call the cohort. That's yeah. what we call a cohort, yeah. And and you get to know people. There's people from all over the country who are in the cohort. And you get to hear their stories and their perspectives. And you get to hear how they're growing and how they're challenged. And what they see is their strength and their weaknesses mm-hmm. because we're all asked to, to say out loud in an intimate, safe space, what what we know our strengths are and what we know our weaknesses are and how we can re reconstruct those things to have a different perspective on who we are. And it and it's long enough too. It's not like it's a week long. Yeah. You know, it's it's several months long. And yeah. so it gives you enough time for the stuff to sink in. And so I just I'm going to do a commercial. Thank you. That, yeah. you know, anyone who's listening who, who you know, is interested, I highly recommend that you you join one of his his. Co- the thing is, we all read the self-help books. We all read the same, you know, in the business world, everybody reads the same books. And mm-hmm. we say, wow, that's a great book. Uh, you know, that's a great way to change life. And then we put the book on the shelf and it never changes anything. And so to me, mm-hmm. coaching, coaching ultimately is saying, what are the answers that in are in you? And how do I challenge you to be intentional about implementing those into your life? Even if it's one thing, right, right. you know, how can, how can we be innovative and intentional about changing the way we interact with the world? And, and I sometimes think all of us, we, we just are really good at avoiding pain. I can just flip on Netflix or I can right. eat some ice cream or, you know, do whatever I can to turn away. But a coach says, wait let's turn into that pain mm-hmm. and let's figure out why that hurdle is there, why that button gets pushed and you get triggered. Because if we can get rid of that button, we can change a whole bunch of exactly. things for you. Well, exactly. and I love, I love this iteration of this process and this kind of coaching because it's coming from the Christian community. We probably all remember back in the late eighties and nineties when we were all taking these tests, these gifts tests and yeah. finding out what our giftedness was. And, you know, there were churches that were, you know, purpose driven life and Willow Creek and all these churches mm-hmm. were putting out this information. Then for like someone like me, I'm finding out what my giftedness is and but, but God forbid that you should do this out in the world. Right. So uh, as an yeah, actor, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like your, your creative communication is your gift. Okay, awesome. I'm going to go, you know, be an actor and I'm going to go out into the world, which I've been doing since I was like 10 years old. Wow. But being told that, no, you can't be involved in the theater because when you're involved in the theater, that's a danger to our reputation. And I said, maybe I can be an encouragement. Maybe I can be a light out there and then get a finger in my face that says, that's an excuse for you to do what you want to do. So being, you know, being in the church and having somebody encourage us to find our gifts, but also tell us, no, you can't use these gifts in this arena or that arena or whatever. You can only sing from the platform. You can only (laughs) sing from the platform. You can only write these really ridiculous little skits for our church because otherwise, you know, you're Or act in these really cruddy Christian movies that we put in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, That are so bad. God's not dead for is 
coming out. Can we make these movies dead? Can we kill God so these movies will stop coming out? Coming back. Jeez. And, 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 and I wasn't the only one who found myself bad because I was a woman. I was I was really hit it, over the It was the head. doubly bad. It was doubly bad oh, because gosh, I was yeah. a woman. Yeah. And so knowing that you have both this God perspective and, you know, a world perspective and a heart perspective and all of these things to to wrap around people finding really what they're supposed to do and where they belong that's that's a huge leap forward yeah and it's and it's great encouragement yeah, and, and and I'll tell you a little I mean a little bit of how it happened is I I was in the business world before I became a pastor I, I was a business owner and so I brought that mentality into the church which I think is a little different than a lot of pastors but but to the credit of the church, they were trying to find ways to deal with mental health issues. And still, there's a lot of, you know, belief that the demonic is underneath it and we got to get rid of some demons. And, and you know, you can have this one inner healing session and, and now be good and go, you know. Uh, and so I was intrigued by those ideas. And I appreciate those attempts of, of Christians and churches to try to deal with these issues. But I think so. Like I saw Brene Brown TED Talk. You, yeah. Brene Brown's I, my I, superhero. I've watched her so many times. Yeah. I, I mean, I had no idea who she was, and I don't know how I ended up on this TED Talk. But her her TED Talk on shame, yeah. and then the follow up TED Talk on vulnerability yeah. were the greatest mental health sermons I've ever heard in a church in my life. But it yeah. wasn't in a church. It was on YouTube. On a, on, yeah, on TED Talk. And but she had just the right Southern accent. Yes. So it was really easy to listen to. <laughs> but that, you know, that really, that just impacted me so much. Me and too. I'm like, okay, shame is really a core issue in our culture. Mm -hmm. and, and the church is a major purveyor of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's going to have to change. And that's that's been a big part of my deconstruction journey all along here is how do we stop putting shame on people and start being the answer to, to healing of shame? And, right. and unfortunately, I ultimately came to the conclusion of like, okay, the church as we know it now isn't going to be able to fix that because mm -hmm. because we can't change. So we got to go find something new yeah. out there too. Yeah. And so you also have a podcast mm -hmm. called the Non-Evangelical... The Non-Partisan non evangelical. evangelical Podcast. Now that name's right. going to be changing. Oh, I, yeah. I'm in a rebrand process because... Because do you still call yourself an evangelical? I don't think I'm an evangelical anymore. Okay, <laughs> okay. all right. You, you're still non-partisan, but you're I, all non-evangelical. I would say I'm non-partisan in, in, a, in a true sense of the word, but I, I know that I need to be actively opposed to a party in our, in our, I mean, let's be honest, there is a, a political party that is dangerous and scary to our country. And so yeah. I may not even be nonpartisan anymore because I'm not a Democrat. I'm, I'm now registered no party preference, but I believe the Republican Party is fully evil and, and irredeemable, irredeemably so. And so, I, I, so I'm so i not really nonpartisan nor evangelical. So it's I just gotten that. so wrapped up in the, in the church and, uh, you know, the Christianity and white nationalism or just American nationalism mm -hmm. in general has just become so, mm -hmm. they, they've crawled into this big old bed and, and you, you can't, you, you can't go you to can't. church if you're not a Republican and you can't be a Republican if you don't go to church. I mean, it just feels so, or you can go to a Methodist church or a UU church, and then and then you're not even a Christian at all. Because and now you're now you've gone over to the dark side, yeah. know. you know, because know. Of those liberals they're not really Christians. Yeah. So you can't, you know, you can't you can't win. You and know? it's 
it, it's funny if, if, you know, Jesus was, was very antagonistic toward the religious leaders, as I said. And if you really look at why, what their belief system was, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 11. I don't have the Bible all memorized yet, but there's this passage where these leaders are sitting together and it's, and it's this, this group of Pharisees and Sadducees who passionately hate each other. But, but Jesus has united them in a group and they're saying, okay, we're going to have to kill this guy. And, and so right off the bat, if you're a religious leader and your solution to an issue is we got to kill somebody, you pretty much need to start thinking you're off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, we're going to have to kill him. And, and this, this passage says, because if he keeps doing what he's doing and people believe in him, and the thing they're mad about is that he's raised this person from the dead, you know, and, and their <laughs> people are going to believe in him and the Romans are going to come and they're going to destroy our temple and they're going to take our country. So if you look at the basis of what their belief was, is that God's purpose on earth could only exist if their country was the world power financially and militarily. That's what they wanted was a Messiah to come and restore Israel as the greatest power on earth. Mm -hmm. And the way Israel was going to be restored to that superpower status was for their race and their religion to be in charge of the country. And these Gentiles were going to have to be thrown out. So what is the evangelical belief? God's plan on earth only exists if America is made great again. The superpower. Mm -hmm. And is the superpower. Mm -hmm. And the only way America is going to be great is if, uh, it, and maybe they would say, well, it's not our race. Okay, our cultural norm then. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, we'll let people of color in as long as they adapt to who we are. To our culture. So our race and our religion to be in charge. We have the exact same belief system as the Pharisees. We are exactly what Jesus criticized and was very angry about and turned over tables in the temple. And, and so we've become this really destructive, horrible force. And yet I think the very first scripture most of us learn is, for God so loved the world, <laughs> the whole world, that he right. gave his only son. Yeah, but, and, yeah, but, and, and yet in practice, it seems like we actually are taught that God loved America so much that this is our responsibility <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to make sure that the rest of the world falls in line. You know, and it's, it's become very, very um, scary. You know, there was a time when I had no problem ever defending my faith and my political affiliation right. ever yeah. I, I could I could stand and and defend who I was and why I believed and why I voted for George Bush and why I you know I, yep. could, I could absolutely defend myself and I have just come to the place where I can no longer defend I, I can no longer defend that line of thinking and I remember when my kids were young, we all stood against Bill Clinton and his shenanigans right. and his, you know, and, and all of the women. It's like, why don't you believe all these women who are coming out and saying that Bill Clinton, you know, did this or did that or whatever? And, and as a young mom of young kids, you know, I'm like, yes, we've got to keep this kind of, you know, influence out of the White House and now move forward and... Everything that Donald Trump did was just excused and was locker talk and mm. was this and was that. Yeah. And now I see, you know, as of this morning, um, Governor Cuomo has been forced to resign yeah. because of accusations against him. And it's like, when did when did it all flip? When did we all see that the <laughs> Democrat Party was was the party of morality or whatever? Yeah. And that, you know, and, it, and, and if Cuomo was a Republican, he would be a front runner. For 
for president. A for right? president. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it feels. And I'm not sure that that's true. But, yeah. but we have got to, you know, come to a place where we are, you know, we're people of integrity and that we both forgive but not excuse, yeah. right? you know? And it's, yeah. it's been a really, gosh, what a journey. Well, and I... And I certainly am not sitting here saying the Democrats have it right. They're no. they're massively screwed up too. Absolutely. All, I, 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 you know, my my wife being an elected official, mayor, she would say, "God hates politics. God loves good government. Government that brings justice and hope and equality to people or strives its best to do that, is godly. That that, that the the prophecy of of Jesus." was that the government would rest upon his shoulders and to the increase of that government and of peace, there would be no end. So government isn't bad, which is the Republican belief, of course, but but the wrangling for political power and right. doing things and, and then wrapping religion around it. Right. And looking at the history of that and knowing that that was an intentional choice, that that the Republican Party hasn't always been this anti-abortion party, and the evangelical right, church right. was not always anti-Roe v. Wade. Right. Roe v. Wade passed in 1973, and it wasn't until 1979 that a political operative said, hey, we can get Jimmy Carter voted out of office by making abortion right. a major issue. That It was a cynical political choice to say we can manipulate Christians by bringing this forward as an issue. And Ronald Reagan, who passed the most liberal of abortion laws, abortion in laws in as ever as governor of mm -hmm. California, suddenly becomes this massive, massive anti-abortionist and massive Christian. And it's it's so hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think abortion, gay marriage, any of the sins of the church are nothing compared to hypocrisy if you actually read the Bible. Yeah, and I've been so mulling over <laughs> on your podcast in the last week or two. You talked about Jeremiah 29, 7 that talks about putting the city, mm -hmm. you know, the needs of the city um, above our kind of our own. And I, and I just thought, yes, we, we've got to we've got to concern ourselves with the needs of the city as we deal with like the tower theater mm -hmm. you know all the stuff and all the, and all that's going on we've just got to love our city mm -hmm. not just our church not just our you know our right. buildings the church that says you know as you're pulling out of the parking lot it says you are now entering the mission field how about if we turn that sign around and put them mm -hmm. as you walk into the church mm -hmm. saying you are now entering the <laughs> mission field these people need your love and you know whether no matter where you are or when you walk into Vons or walk into yeah. Winco you are now entering the mission field I mean, not to tell them about Jesus but just to love them right I, I mean I I think that that's always been kind of where I've tried to live you know that everywhere I wanted to be the same person in church out of church wherever but it, that was a hard thing to do because even when you know, I'm kissing another man on stage right I can still be the good Christian wife and mom hello yeah I know I know <laughs> I you know there's there's got to be a purpose to all of this right. that's that's the thing for me that's that's why I don't just chuck faith there's got to be a purpose for all of this and you know Part of what I do in my coaching is is my well-being is secured ultimately when when I'm the the command of Jesus was love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. So inherent in that command is I have to love myself. So as I start to learn to love myself, then love begins to be able to pour out of me, and my well-being becomes secured when I am pouring out my strength into a world mm -hmm. that I'm not necessarily expecting to get something back for it. That when mm -hmm. 
Jeremiah 27, 29, 7, that I, I pray for the welfare of my city, for right. in its welfare I find my welfare, right. that that's where my well-being becomes secured and it becomes this cycle of me being empowered, pouring it out to my neighbor and then impacting a people group that it comes back to me. And, and then I think ultimately at the end of it all, the question isn't going to be, did you say yes or no to Jesus so you get to go to heaven or you get to go to hell? It's going to be something of, Hebrews 12 talks about this, everything that can be shaken will be, Hebrews 11, that can be shaken will be shaken and what's of heaven will remain and what's of earth will be shaken off. And it talks about God being this consuming fire. I think, I think hell is this experience where the good stuff we do, we do, we go through this fire process and the good stuff we did is left. Mm-hmm. and taken into this next form of life with us and the rest of the crap gets burned off and thankfully and, thankfully. Yeah, and, thankfully. For, and for some i think that's going to be a much longer hellish process than others i do think there is a justice at the end of it all but but it says you know i i would despair if you know hebrews 11 all of these people of faith it says they didn't see the fulfillment of god's promise when they were here on earth right right but somehow it goes into the next form of life, eternity, if you will. And, and something of what we do here is going to go in that. So even at, I'm at 55 now, I'm probably closer to death than the beginning. I think I'm going to live a lot longer, I hope, because I'm going to try to stay healthy. But, but even now, it's worth it to change and be transformed because I'm working for something that's going to be taken into eternity. And I'm going to realize, like, Oh, that was the purpose of this whole thing. Right, right. It, it wasn't saying the sinner's prayer. It wasn't doing the hokey pokey. It was to give out everything I could for the common good, and then eternal life comes out of that pouring out. So, I love that. Why else would we yeah. do it and want to do any of this work if there if there wasn't a purpose to it? Why wouldn't I just say screw it? I'm going to be really self serving. Just do like, whatever you just want. Just do whatever just I do want. Do whatever you want, Paul. <laughs> Because this work is hard. You guys know I, it. It sucks hard. looking well, inside. I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm just so thankful that you came across my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Me um, too. I'm just so, so thankful. And I know that we need to wrap up, and I just want to, to give one reason for hope. And so, Paul, you've written a book, and I just think that, that people should know about the book and oh. read the book, and that, I, I think, is a reason for hope. So real quickly, in a minute and a half, tell us a little bit about your book. Now, the book is called Joseph Comes to Town. It's a novel. Uh, it has the subtitle of When the Religious Right Becomes Religiously Wrong. And it's my imagination of, of what Jesus would say to the evangelical church if he were walking around in the flesh on earth in, in a town that seems a lot like Fresno, if yeah, you really yeah. read between yeah, the lines. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this is my imagination of what Jesus would say to evangelicals today. And I don't think they would like him much more than the church liked him in the first century. So, uh, and, it's, and it's an idea of, about how transformation for somebody who's been deeply ensconced in that evangelical belief system can come and their transformation can impact so many people around them. Thank you yeah. so much, yeah. Paul, for being here. So on our notes, we'll put how you can uh, connect with Paul, how you can benefit from his coaching or get his book or listen to his podcast or contribute to his. Um, I, I mean, for those, he's also on TikTok, Pastor Paul, right? On TikTok. Yeah. Pastor and, with the plan. Um, 
Yeah, oh, I used to be. I, you I, were a pastor with a plant. That's you started, I started there, yeah. and, then, and now he's Pastor Paul. And, and yeah. you can contribute. There's ways to contribute. He has Patreon. I know that there's all kinds. He of, just says all kinds of cool stuff. All people. kinds of all cool kinds stuff. I know this cool is why stuff. the rebrand. I have too much stuff. We're going to boil it down to okay. very easily and grabbable. Okay. So if uh, pastor-paul.com okay. is okay. the there place where they can find any of the rest of the stuff. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for you guys. This us. was fun. Thank you for visiting with us. Thank you for encouraging us yep. and Thank telling you for your story. Telling Thank your you guys story. for yeah. being transparent and and can I cuss on this? Yeah, yeah. You can. Putting your shit out there yeah. so that other people can say, oh, it's okay that I have shit. Yeah. Thank that, you for doing that's that. That's kind of the subtext of our show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, We're kind of a shit film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what the world needs now. Is just say, I do too. Let's forget the pretense. Let's let's strip all the niceness yep. away and just be really raw and mm-hmm. honest and with one another. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you Debbie. Thank Have a you, great Liz. week. Yep, you guys too. All right. Bye. See you Bye. later.